It is the Saturday show right here on the Zone Sports Network. Thank you for joining us this afternoon. Up and down the Wasatch Front, the weather, well, it looks pretty nice outside, but weather's supposed to be coming in tomorrow, and we'll see what happens. But, Alex, what's up, my friend? You know, I'm all uh, loaded up on caffeine for the day and uh, ready to get rolling. Let's do this. All right, I like it. So I'm Jake. That's Alex. We actually go by probably our pseudonyms, Yawk, Lundy. We'll just go with that, Yawk and Lundy. I kind of like that, actually. It works pretty good. But we are your co-host tandem taking you through this afternoon up through 2 o'clock talking a lot of sports. And I think the biggest story is really clearly straight up front. Yeah, I mean... Obviously, everybody's wondering about the Stanley Cup playoffs right now. Thanks, right. straight. We'll get to that. <laughs> no, yeah, the, the Utah Jazz finally have their opponent. Uh, we know who it is. Mm-hmm. They're playing the Memphis Grizzlies tomorrow uh, Tomorrow night in Game 1 of the, uh, of the playoffs. Okay, so let's start here. Last night's game. Memphis goes to Golden State. It's, of course, it's the win or go home because you get the 8th mm-hmm. seed and you have the chance to play Utah. What were your takeaways from that game initially? You know, my main takeaway is that this the play-in is here to stay. Oh. That was awesome. Yeah. That was incredibly fun. Uh-huh. Uh, I thought for sure that with two minutes left, Memphis lost the game by not challenging the foul call on that three-pointer. I like Right then and there, I was like, book it, this is the moment that it's all over. Like, they had the lead, they were, you know, they were playing pretty well. Mm-hmm. And then a very obvious kick out and held on to it because they had, what, two timeouts left and they didn't want to use them just in case and they ended up not using them anyway. <laughs> yeah, Taylor Jenkins nearly cost his team a chance to advance and his team bailed him out. Let's be mm-hmm. clear about that, but I'm with you. To not challenge that call when you yeah you have two timeouts in your back pocket, that is, and as David Locke put out there, and I, I said something similar, that is what the challenge is implemented for, that type of a call. That's when you challenge. And for some reason, he doesn't go for it. Yeah. If not then, when? Yeah. Like, it, it's, it, it's exactly that. And, and especially when you're playing Steph Curry, right? This, you can't ever give Steph any room because he can sink a three from anywhere on the court mm-hmm. without even really thinking too much about it. They, they let him back in. I think that those free throws tied the game or brought it within two. I don't remember exactly right off the top of my head. It was a one-point game, if not tied. Yeah, it was something where it was uncomfortably close if you're a Grizzlies fan. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like you said, Taylor Jenkins, you know, he needs to be thanking Ja Morant <laughs> and the rest of the team because they did everything that they could have possibly been asked of and more to keep that thing, you know, to keep that their season rolling. Yeah, that's the simple truth of the matter. Is they, they went on the road, and they were the only team, by the way, in, the, in this whole playing tournament, the only road team to win a game. So you tip the cap to Memphis. They looked like the team who was more hungry. And I, I'm not going to say that Golden State didn't want to win, but I thought last night was just evidence of what Steph Curry has done all year long. He has dragged a team of essential nobodies. I know Draymond's a name. I know that Andrew Wiggins has got a little bit of a rep, but let's be honest. Look at that Warriors roster and tell me that that is the Warriors that you have known and loved for the better part of a decade. Oh, it's it's not even close. You know, and so yeah, like exactly what you said. He he dragged them kicking and screaming, you know, <laughs> sometimes literally in Draymond's case. Yeah. But he 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 dragged them to the play-in. Yeah, you know, that's the thing about it, and, I, and you can you can look at that Warriors team and say, okay, well, if they had Clay Thompson, they'd be better. Sure, they would be, but I know that LeBron James earlier on in the week when they were getting ready for their matchup for the seven seed on it was a Wednesday night. Yeah, it was Wednesday night. He he was like, well. Steph Curry should be the MVP. Well, last night's the evidence of why he should be considered. He's one of the finalists, obviously. Right. We'll, we'll talk about the finalists here in a minute with the Utah Jazz being well represented. But the the fact that he was a finalist for the award, well, last night is just like the microcosm of why. Because he took that team and dragged them as far as he possibly could. They ran into a team. Memphis, I don't know if they're... Uh, overly uh, talented, but they have a lot of guys who know exactly what they're supposed to do. And their team dynamic, I think, pulled them through in the end over Golden State. For sure, yeah. I mean, you know, give credit to Dylan Brooks. Mm-hmm. His defense on Steph Curry was he's, great. You know, He's a bulldog. There's no doubt about yeah. it. I mean, you know, I, 
I still remember and have flashbacks every time I see him. I I instantly flash back to the the flop of all time against <laughs> Utah when he played for Oregon. Uh, but I mean, the guy just impressed me. Mm-hmm. You know, Steph Curry is a Hall of Famer for his offensive game. Sure, he's rev- he's revolutionized the NBA. Absolutely, you know? he, yeah. he he single handedly changed it. He's the greatest shooter in the history of the game. Yes, and you're never gonna make him a non-factor. But Dylan Brooks absolutely did anything you could ask anybody to ever do in containing Steph Curry and allowing the rest of the team to to keep up and to push ahead. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. It's you, and I know you said that Dylan Brooks he, he, he did what he was supposed to do. You're, like you said, you're not going to hold Steph down. 39 points, and there were moments in this game it looked like Steph was like, okay, this game's over. I'm finishing this thing. But to Memphis, and in, in that in the singular case, it's Dylan Brooks' credit. He went out there and just was able to stifle Steph enough mm-hmm. to allow his team to survive. And one other note on this, and we'll turn our attention to talking about tomorrow night's game here in just a moment with the Utah Jazz facing Memphis. Did we see Ja Morant uh, finally take the next step towards superstardom in that game? Boy, it looked like it. He had some very clutch plays right down there at the end. You know, I mean, he when Taylor Jenkins kind of abandoned them. <laughs> John Morant put them on his back and, and carried them to the promised <laughs> land. Japan, mid-game. I, good luck, guys. Have fun out there. Yeah, I mean, you know, because honestly, like, there's no other way that I can view that yeah. just refusal to call that challenge. And so that's, to me, you know, that was as close to abandonment as you can actually, you know, I mean, there are coaches that get technical fouls and ejections mm-hmm. that are more there for their teams than Taylor Jenkins was in that moment. A little bit, yeah. There's no doubt about that. But congratulations to the Memphis Grizzlies and their reward. Well, you hop on a quick flight from the Bay Area and you come straight to Salt Lake City for a matchup tomorrow night here at Vivint Arena. I think this is going to be an interesting series because there is a... And I know that uh, we, we're talking about Mike Conley here in a minute because he's facing mm-hmm. his old team. But there's the whole old grit and grind, grind city, the whole Memphis... Grizzlies persona that they had with Zach Randolph, Mike Conley, and Marcus Saul. Well, this Memphis team, I think, has actually kind of created a new era of that in a way with what they showed coming into this matchup. I think the Utah Jazz are going to catch a very tired Memphis team, at least in Game 1 tomorrow night, because they've had to drag themselves into the playoffs here, and they're probably going to be empty on in terms of their gas tank at that point. But I think as they get their legs back underneath them, because we all know the NBA playoffs, the first round, what is it? We go we go Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday, Tuesday? Is that the first round? Uh, I think games? it's Sunday, Wednesday, Saturday, and then Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday. Okay, so yeah. Okay, so at least over the first week, Memphis seemed to be able to rest up a little bit here. And they're going to be... But I think game one tomorrow night, this is a very, very important, I think, tone-setting game for the Utah Jazz. Because as we saw last night... Golden State, they have one of the best players in the league, and Memphis just as a team overcame all that. Just right off the top here, Alex, I believe that the Utah Jazz are far more talented and far better as a team than Memphis, but Memphis has this will to win that we saw last night that I think is going to make them a tough out here in this first series. Right, yeah, exactly. And like you know, like we had said before, Steph Curry got 39 last night, mm-hmm. but he worked so hard for that like this wasn't one of those games where he just goes off and you know and he's he's not even watching his threes go in because he already knows when he lets it go he had to work and that's exactly what the jazz are going to have to do they they might get the biggest break in air quotes against you know the grizzlies tomorrow night just because they are so tired coming off of you know they played two sure. games, and the, the run-up to the playoffs alone mm-hmm. has worn teams out. And these teams that played in the play-in game, to have another week where you have to play two games and you've got to win or go home, mm-hmm. it's a lot of strain. Yeah, so it, it, it's going to take its toll physically and mentally. Mm-hmm. But after that game, you know, they get a couple games to rest, kind of refocus. The Jazz are going to really get pushed. They're going to get, you know, I, I think that the Jazz are going to win this, and I think that... You know, my prediction, my gut feeling is they're going to win it in five. Okay. But it's going to feel like a lot more than that. So you're going gentleman sweep, but they're going to have to earn every bit of it is what yeah. you're saying. I think that the closest thing we'll see to a blowout will be game one. I don't think it will be a blowout. But, man, they're going to have to work every game after that. They're probably going to drop one. And they're going to feel like they played a seven-game series after after winning in five. 
I, and see, that's the thing. Last night, I, I actually got a text from a buddy of mine who lives in Arizona. And he's become this pseudo Suns fan. He's not a diehard by any means, but he's kind of latched on to him as they've kind of been doing things this year. And I got a text from him last night as this game was going down to the wire. And, he, and he's like, well, hey, you guys got a big break taking on Memphis. My text back to him was like, not really, dude. And I get on paper... Phoenix is the two seed facing off against the Los Angeles Lakers. Like, how many two seeds are perceived as an underdog in their right. series against the defending champions who happen to be a seven seed? I, and I get that. On paper, the disparity between these two series, speaking of Utah, Memphis versus Lakers, Suns, it's very apparent. But I, I, I've got this feeling that Memphis, they've got just this, this hunger that they're going to go out there and they're going to get after the Jazz. And Utah's going to have to earn every bit of this series. Yeah, no, it's... It like the, I mean, it's the playoffs, right? Yeah. There's never an easy moment. No, <laughs> and that that includes this, right? You know, the Jazz are the one seed; they're sure. playing the eight seed, yeah. But you know, this isn't like the NCAA tournament where if you're a one seed, you know, you basically get just a, a scrimmage before your your next round. A scrimmage. Like this is this the, the Jazz have to be ready. They have to be ready to go, and if they if they blink. They're going to find themselves backed into a corner. That and that's the thing about it. You can't go out and just think we're going to breeze through this. And I know that the Utah Jazz are three and zero against the Grizzlies this year in in season. And one of the games that we uh, that we saw Donovan Mitchell did not play. It was down the stretch when he was sitting right. out with the ankle. So Mike Conley went had a really big game in that against his former team. So the Jazz are three and zero. So they should be confident going into this. But if you look at the three games. Utah had to earn those games. Like Memphis, they just they have a style. They I think they understand who they are. Right. Because this is a team, and I'm 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 speaking just just my personal opinion on this, is that John Moran is on his way to superstardom. Mm-hmm. Jonas Valanciunas is one of the biggest bruising bigs in the NBA today. He just makes life miserable and he'll make Rudy Gobert earn every inch of what he earns in this series because of just the way he plays the game. Then you have a Dylan Brooks. You have Xavier Tillman last night. Wow, he played Jaron Jackson, who is a lottery pick, off the floor and said, no, you go sit on the bench over there. I'm going to carry this team alongside John Morant. And big three down the stretch. I don't think that Memphis is necessarily um, at where they're going to be maybe in a year or two, but they are a very, very good team, and they very much are going to make Utah uh, get right into it. And that's the thing. I think I think there's some Jazz fans out there. And correct me if I'm wrong here, Alex. You you have better perception on this because I know you work on the Jazz games as the executive producer with David Locke. I think there are Jazz fans who have a concern that Donovan Mitchell did not play down the stretch run of the season with that ankle, and we'll let you hear from him later on in today's show. He spoke to the media earlier this week and kind of led on that the ankle injury maybe was a little more serious than originally reported to be, but I think there are Jazz fans who are wary that the Utah Jazz did not have their full complement of guys playing together, and their first game together with Donovan Mitchell back in the lineup, we expect, to put that clarifier on it, is tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. Give me your uh, reaction to that. What What do you think? Do you think Jazz fans are, are right to be concerned about that, or do you think the Jazz are going to come out and say, you know what, we've had a week off, we got our legs underneath us, let's get after it? You know, I think that, you know, I, I don't want to dismiss any concerns about, you know, chemistry they haven't played for a while. Like, I think those are valid concerns, but I, I, I also don't think that it that will really come into play. Okay. Um, I mean, we saw the Jazz get that chemistry early in the season. Sure. With all of these guys healthy, they were playing at a very high level, and they've had time to practice this week uh, where they've been able to go out there, kind of get reacquainted with each other on the floor. And so I think that they're going to be ready. That's my belief. That's my gut instinct is that, yes, Donovan will play and that we're going to see a version of the Jazz that's more similar to what we saw in the first part of the season when they were really just rolling, when they had those big win streaks going. I think we're going to see that tomorrow night, especially with how tired the Grizzlies are. <laughs> they, and so You'd hope so. It's going to feel, you know, I, I think that there might be almost a false sense of security after tomorrow night's game. Okay. Where people are going to say, oh, this is going to be a breeze. We're going to, you know. We're going to roll th- these guys. Yeah. yeah. And, and I think that you know, it'll it'll be good. It'll settle a lot of concerns before the remainder of the series when the Grizzlies come back and and show who they are. Like you said, you know, that very gritty, very tough, very physical team mm-hmm. where they 
they come out, they lock people down, and they make you work. I mean, even you know Grayson Allen last night against the Warriors, you know, hit some clutch threes. Well, yeah, those back-to-back threes were absolutely massive for and, that team. You know, Grayson is known for being a physical player, both uh, in the ways that you expect and the ways that. A lot of people maybe don't appreciate. Maybe toe or cross the line. Yeah, you know he's a. Uh, you, you have to watch your step around him. Sure. And yes. so, well done. What nice, nice reference. I like it. Yeah, it's. So he's. Yeah, I, I think that him the combination that Grizzlies team. I mean, we. I don't. I don't know what more we could say about it. Where it's just the Jazz are going to have to work outside of maybe game one. Yeah, and I see. I, I look forward to this series. I love the playoffs. This is my favorite thing. Like I can, mm-hmm. I'll be honest. During the middle part of the most of the NBA season, watching Eastern Conference regular season games to me holds no interest whatsoever. Right. I just I can't do it. All of a sudden, hey, the playoffs are here. I'm in. If it's or and this is this is a hypothetical. If it's Orlando versus Cleveland, I'm watching it. It's just it, playoff intensity in the NBA. There's nothing like it, and that's just probably due to the fact that you and I were of similar age. We grew up in an era where John Stockton and Carl Malone went to the playoffs every year, and you just knew during the spring season. I know this year's still a little bit different. We're almost into summer and we're finally starting the playoffs, but there was just that feeling of okay. Now it really counts for something. And then you're just locked in, watching every second, trying to get a sense of what's going on. I'm listening to more and more podcasts that are NBA-centric than I do all year long, just trying to get a read on things. That's what I love about this time of year. And I love that the Utah Jazz, they're on top of the NBA. Best record in the NBA, number one seed in, in the West. But man, at the outset of these playoffs right now, there's just kind of a little bit of an uneasy feeling saying, okay, I need to see the Jazz actually play to kind of put my heart at ease. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I'm right there with you. Like, I love this type of even the people that don't follow the jazz closely, like oh, yeah. you and I do. Like, you know, I remember being at that point, and the jazz would make the playoffs, and you can feel it. Mm-hmm. You can feel it in just the atmosphere around town, anywhere you know along the Wasatch Front. There's just a different energy in the state because it's it's that big of a deal. It, it has that kind of impact on the people that live here, and it's just so much fun. So I, I can't wait to get this started, especially with the season that the Jazz have had and all of the potential. And, I, you know, I, one of the things that I like to say is, you know, potential doesn't equal promise. <laughs> Good, I like that. So, you yeah. know, we, we, we have to wait and see what this Jazz team can accomplish. But, I mean, we've seen flashes and we've seen things that show us that the sky's the limit with this team. And that all starts tomorrow. Okay, one note I want to get to, and we'll get we'll we'll be obviously talking about this throughout the show. We'll we'll talk plenty about this. One other thing I want to talk about with the potential return of Donovan Mitchell tomorrow night. He said that the hope is that he will be out there, and fingers crossed because I've been waiting to see him back on the court since he injured the ankle. Honestly, because he's just one of the most thrilling young players in this league. Is the so Mike Conley missed nine games, if I recall correctly, with the hamstring tightness. He came back for the final two regular season games of the year, and to me, and I know you watch this because you're you're producing the games, so you're listening to Locke, all, all this stuff. You listen to Ron Boone. It felt like to me that Mike Conley came off that hamstring tightness and essentially needed no time to just jump right back in. I think it kind of goes back, goes back to your point earlier on in the segment of saying, okay, this Utah Jazz team, earlier on in the year, it didn't seem like they missed a beat at all. They just kind of just, they just rolled. They put up these, what, two nine-win, two nine-game win streaks in an 11-game, if I recall correctly? Yeah, and I, I think that they had, you know, it was, yeah, it was something like that where in, I know there was a stretch where it was like, in 22 games, they won 20 or 21 yeah, of them. Just insane. So it's my hope, and this is just me looking ahead to tomorrow night, is that we see Donovan Mitchell do exactly what Mike Conley do and essentially step right back in. It's not like he even missed. He missed uh, 16 games down the stretch, and he steps right back in just like Mike Conley and doesn't miss a beat. That is my hope that we see because I think the Utah Jazz, they're so cohesive as a unit. What they learned from the bubble they carried into this season, it really carried them to the early part of the year when other teams were figuring things out. I'm hopeful that Donovan Mitchell, now that he's good to go and everything based on what we're hearing going into tomorrow night, is that he is going to be able to play. It's my hope that he does what Mike Conley did and just essentially step right back into the lineup and say, I'm back, guys, let's go do our thing. Right, yeah. And, you know, Mike Conley had said, Right, you know, prior to coming back, where he just said, "Look, the only way to finish the recovery and to get game ready is to play in a game." Mm-hmm. And you know, he, he said, "This isn't something that you can 
do in practice. You can't take that final step in practice and then be ready. And I think he did a great job of that. I think you know the same thing is going to hold true for Donovan. He's got to get back out there to really complete that. And like you said, you know when he addressed the media, which we'll get to later, um, you know he did mention that uh, you know it, it was more serious than a lot of us were led to believe, which is you know kind of goes back to something that you said last week, where this team has been really locked down with information. Like, and that goes from the front office down. This is mm-hmm. this is very much a, Dennis Lindsay. He wants to, and it's not it's not a bad thing. He just he just wants to make sure that no superfluous information that can injure or harm the Jazz in any way gets out there. And I I, I completely get why they do it. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. You know, yeah, and so I mean, like last week I had said, you know, oh, I think that this is Donovan. You know, like they're they're holding him out just to see who they get. You know, <laughs> they're gonna see if they. No, it turns out that I was completely wrong because Donovan. You know, not that I didn't think that he was injured, because I mean, ankles are tough, right? Sure. Well, it's a very critical part of playing basketball. So much movement and everything. Right. Yeah. You know, you hurt one of those. That it. I mean, you know, anybody that has rolled their ankle knows it lingers. It. Yeah. It's. It's something. And so, you know, I thought that it was serious, but I didn't think it was as serious as maybe Donovan has now started to hint that it was. And I don't think you're alone in that. There are a lot of people who I who. Trust me, I talked to her and like, dude, they're just resting him. Yeah. They're just resting him. Right. Well, I think his comments indicated, no, he needed the time. Yeah. Well, and it makes sense to thinking back, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. but Donovan's the kind of competitor that I don't know that he would necessarily allow them to rest him. Sure. You know, where it, like if he was able to go, I think he would have gone. Now, it's easy to say that with all of the information that we have <laughs> now, because I obviously wasn't saying that before, but you know. You learn, you take new evidence, you, you reform your opinions. That's what I'm doing here. I think that Donovan is ready to go. He, I mean, it, it sounds like it. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how the, the team's trainers feel about it. Sure. Uh, but I think that we're going we're gonna to see Donovan come out with a lot of energy. He's, I think he's going to come out with feeling like he has something to prove because he's been sitting out. And, you know, we've, we've seen a lot this year. One of the things that I've noticed is in a lot of the post-game press conferences, a lot of the players, uh, Rudy especially is mm-hmm. one that does it, but Donovan's done it. A lot of the players have kind of made it a point to always say something about taking it to the next level. Sure, uh, you know I think they have their chip on that uh, that chip on their shoulder, and I think Donovan is ready to come out and say, "Okay, it's playoff time. We're taking this to the le- next level right now." Well, he was very clear after last year's playoff failure. You're up 3-1 there in the bubble, and to lose to the Nuggets in the fashion that they did, I think it devastated him. And he made it very clear, we're done losing in the first round. He said that. He said as much. It's on the record. Mm -hmm. And I think that that quote-unquote going to the next level, I think that's him saying, okay, I know what I said last year. And we cannot repeat that. Obviously, you're the number one seed. You're favored. They're, they're, the stakes are higher this year than they were a year ago down in the bubble. It's very, very clear on that front. And it's crazy to say a year ago because it's, what is it, six months in the bed? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's more than six, but it just feels like it was yesterday that we were in the bubble. But nonetheless, I'm looking forward to it. We'll continue to break this down throughout today's show. We'll let you hear from Donovan speaking to the media. You'll be able to kind of glean for yourself, if you haven't heard it already, what he had to say to the media, what he was his thoughts on his return, the recovery process, what he's seen from the Jazz he's been sitting out, because we've seen him. He's been sitting courtside for most of those games outside of the last road trip of the season. I think it was the only trip he didn't make or only games he was not in attendance at. So let's hear from him. Coming up next, though, we're going to switch gears a little bit. We do need to go up on the hill to Utah. They are bringing in a lot of talent, and I mean a lot of talent from the transfer portal. Let's dig into that next. You're listening to the Saturday Show with Yock and Lundy right here on the Zone Sports Network. Lobbed to Rudy. Oh, he packed it with the right hand. Produce three all-stars. Check. Oh, Donovan Mitchell. Win 51 games. Check. Earn the best record in the NBA in the top spot in the West. You are fabulous. Check and check. The regular season is over, and now the number one seeded Utah Jazz begin their quest for an NBA title. Let's go! When the Jazz take the court in the NBA playoffs, you'll hear every second of every game on your exclusive home. Welcome home of the Utah Jazz. 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. 
Welcome back to the Saturday show. Hope you all are doing great here on this Saturday afternoon up and down the Wasatch Front. That's Lundy. I'm Yawk, a.k.a. Alex and Jake. We are your co-host tandem taking you through the Saturday afternoon on the Saturday show here on 97.5 FM and 1280 AM. By the way, if you guys want to be a part of the show, feel free to tweet in or even actually even better, use the app. We have an app, the Zone app. You can find it in your app store. We have what we call the open mic feature. It allows you to send 15 seconds of audio, your take on whatever we're talking about. We're going to be talking about Utah football here in a moment. You have thoughts on the Utah Jazz tomorrow night. Whatever it might be, send them in. Lundy, where can they find you on social media? Uh, I'm at 247Lundy on Twitter. Real simple to find. 247Lundy. You can follow me at Jacob C. Hatch. And you know what? We need to create uh, some social media for this show. So we'll work on that as well. We'll see what we can do, maybe an Instagram page. or something. We'll, we'll work on that. That's for down the road. But thanks for you guys' interaction in, the, I guess, in the future. I guess we'll say that right up front. I appreciate yeah. you guys weighing in with us. We love the support we've had. When we announced the show last week, we were coming back. I got all kinds of messages. Yes, we're back. It's, it's great to hear. Well, you know what? We're excited to be back. That's yeah. the fun part about this. Yeah, no, it's been a blast. You know, I mean, last week... As I said multiple times, it was my maiden voyage. First time on this side of the glass. Let's put it this way. any of these kinds of things. You got rave reviews from certain people I talked to. So, Well, those people probably must not have listened very long, <laughs> but I appreciate it. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm glad that they tuned in and that they, uh, you know, yeah, I've, I've had a lot of people reach out and, you know, a few of them that didn't know that I was even in the industry that reached out and said, hold on, what are you doing? Yeah. I heard you on the radio. That was weird. (laughs) Well, nonetheless, I think you did a great job. But we're continuing on here. Let's talk a little bit about Utah football, Lundy. And I got to say, just right off the top here, this past week for the University of Utah football program, been very, very successful, very fruitful when it comes to the transfer portal. Man, you know what? Like, this is not something that I expected when, you know, they when when the transfer portal was created. Sure. You know, this is something that... Obviously, we knew would happen, but you'd think that. I mean, I didn't expect to see it quite at this level in this state. Mm-hmm. You know, a lot of people have talked about it as you know, oh, it's going to create free agency, and I know that some people view that as a bad thing. I think it's great. I think it's awesome. I think it's super fun. And this past week has been part of that, where it's we've really seen how teams can utilize it. And man, Utah has really. I mean, they've said as much where you know. They're going to be in the transfer portal for success. They're going to make a good use of it. Yeah. Um, I mean, Kyle Whittingham at the beginning of spring, you know, he when he was talking about the quarterback situation. Sure. I remember him saying that they're looking at who's going to help them win this year, mm-hmm. which is slightly different than what he usually says. Like, but it, it still to me came across as coach speak of just like, well, obviously, yeah. You know, like usually it's just it's more of a we're going to do what's best for the team. And I, I did, I, I do remember kind of hearing him say that and, you know, cocking my head a little bit and saying, huh, like, it's not the usual verbiage that he uses, but, yeah. you know, it's, it's probably still the same intent. But we've, we've seen very clearly through this week's events that Utah is going all in this season to win right now. I, I think that's very, very clear right now that they, they see an opportunity and, my history with Kyle Whittingham is when he starts to speak like you're talking about, you know he sees something and feels something. And he's got the track record that proves it. You right. can go back just as far as 2008. Like He was talking lead up to that season that we've got a very good team here. He was very explicit about it. And there were multiple times during their run here in the Pac-12 that he has also expressed that that sincere belief in his team. And there are times it hasn't worked out. I think that we can all go back through those if we want to. But the moves they're making, you mentioned the fact they went to the transfer portal for the quarterback. Charlie Brewer comes in from Baylor. They had Chris Curry and TJ Pledger as running backs, who by all accounts so far have fit in nicely with mm-hmm. what they've got going. Mackay Bernard up there as well. Uh, but now, this past week, they go out and have three guys. Two guys from the University of Washington, so two guys coming from inside the conference. Brandon McKinney and Josh Calvert both coming over from Washington. And then Theo Howard, who... Played at Oklahoma last year, but he spent the majority of his career in, at UCLA. So he's also a fellow Pac-12 guy. Lundy, looking at this, all of these guys they've brought in have all been former four-star athletes. There is a lot of talent all of a sudden calling Salt Lake City home. 
I'm with you. I think Utah is all in on this season. I think Kyle Whittingham smells blood in the water, to use that to use that adage, and he wants to go after it. And the moves they're making, because, yes, the transfer portal has created a form of free agency in college sports, but I think he understands there's an advantage to this, and he is chasing it with everything he's got. Oh, absolutely. You know, and I think another thing that's really important, like you said, you know, they're all former four-star athletes. Yeah. But on top of that, every single one of them has meaningful experience playing at a P5 level. Sure. And, you know, I mean, I think that sometimes that can be overlooked. You know, I mean, because, you know, look at look at BYU last year, right? They didn't have a lot of guys that necessarily played against power five competition. But I would still say that a lot of those guys were talented. Just look at, you know, how many got picked up. You know, they're getting looks at the next level. They'd spent three years working together. That's right. the one thing BYU benefited from last year was three, legitimately three straight years of having the same system, essentially the same players. There's very little roster turnover. There's a very young team in 2018 that mm-hmm. grew up together. And I think you're right. In 2020, they benefited from that because 12 guys, <clears throat> 12 guys got opportunities at the next level off mm-hmm. of that squad. Right. And so, like, while, P- while Power 5 competition isn't everything i st- i do think it's a significant data point it's the highest say, point, it's the highest level of football right. in the college game right yeah. and so there's guys that they're it's not just that they've produced high numbers they've done so at the highest level you know and not all of them maybe you know i mean theo howard didn't maybe have a, a breakout season at ou last year right He's coming you know, off but, an achilles tear so right giving a little bit of a break right but you know it's not like okay these are these are world beaters you know but at the same time, Chris Curry played on 2019 LSU, averaged a little over four yards a carry, I think. Yeah, and he had That's, a certain quarterback advocating for him to play more. Yeah, so. and so, you know, like, it, it's not like these are guys that are... Th- these aren't the kind of transfers that, prior to this week, I would have expected Utah to get in bulk. Sure. And yet here we are where they have gotten them in bulk. Um, you know, they've, they've addressed very specific needs. Uh on defense, it, I mean, a wide receiver transfer, Utah really needed this year, I feel like. Well, you know, Kyle told DJ and PK as such. He said that we're going to go into the portal. We're trying to find at least one, possibly two wide receiver transfers to bolster what they have up on the hill. They needed to find guys. So yeah. Theo Howard is number one, and there may be a second one at some point. We don't know. But, yeah, he was very clear they needed to upgrade that position group. Yeah, and... Utah has had success with with receiver transfers in the past. Look at Darren Carrington. I mean, he was monumental when he was here. You yeah. know, I mean, he was the guy. Mm-hmm. And you know, Utah lost two of their top producers at that position to the transfer portal. You know, transfer portal giveth the transfer portal taketh away. Uh, and so it was, like you said, it's it was instrumental. It was monumental that they. It was essential that yeah. they go to this and and find at least one guy they have. It'll be interesting to see if they continue. But I mean, it's so yeah. I I, I can't I I can't just give enough props to Utah for what they've done because it it exceeded anything that I possibly could have expected. Um, out of these transfers that Utah has gotten so far. Mm-hmm. Who do you think is going to make the biggest impact this season? So that's actually a very interesting question because Brandon McKinney, so he's a six foot, 200 pound safety coming over from Washington. If you look at his career production for Washington, it's not very much. 40 tackles, one pass breakup, one tackle for loss, and one forced fumble in four years, primarily playing kind of a, a backup and special teams role for, for UW. He wants to have a good finish to his career. He wants to get a look at the next level, and I think when he probably was looking around, he probably looked at Utah's roster, saw the news about R.J. Hubert being out. They obviously lose Nate Ritchie to an LDS mission. He goes mm-hmm. out on the mission field, and he's saying, okay, well, they have Vontae Davis, who is going to be the lead guy. Why can't I step in right there and get my opportunity to play for one of the best defenses? I know that Washington's a very good defense, but let's be honest, Utah just pumps out talent in the defensive backfield in particular, right. year in and year out, he's got to have sat there and said, okay, this is a big opportunity for me. I think he comes in, and I would probably automatically pencil him on the two deep at safety, if not as a starting guy alongside Vontae Davis the second he shows up in Salt Lake City. Right, 100% agree. And, you know, Brandon McKinney, he has that capability where he, he can play both safety positions. Sure. He's got, you know, that, that size, that speed. He's got, 
he's got the right tool set mm-hmm. where he feels very much like a plug and play type of player in Kyle Whittingham's system. And he's got one year to play. So right. he's obviously he's this isn't a situation we'll talk about Josh Calvert in a minute where he's got a little more time on his side. This is McKinney's like he sees the writing on the wall. If I want to continue my playing career, I got to put up some stats, get on the NFL radar of these teams. I think he sees this as I'm stepping in, and it is my assumption I'm going to start, and I'm going to go out and have a monster senior season. Right. And he wouldn't be the first guy that got one one year to start in Kyle Whittingham's defense yeah. that got a look at the next level. Sure. You know, there have been guys in the past that have spent a few years behind other, because I mean... Look at the defensive line. It happens every year. Right. <laughs> the defensive line, uh, there was, uh, I'm trying to remember who it was a few years ago, Um I want to say it was a corner that had been just kind of oh. on the two deep the whole time. Got one one year starting, and I'm, I'm I know who you're talking. I'm about. so upset that I can't think of his name right now. But yeah, you know he was just always on the two deep. He's got a, his shot his senior yeah. season, and then got yeah, a look, in, got a look in the league. Yeah, I think there's a reputation with Utah's defense. The NFL scouts when they look at Utah's roster, they see you in the two deep at minimum. If they see you as a starter, they're like. All right, you got to go pull up that guy's film and look at it. Because Kyle Whittingham, he has proven that these guys that play for him on defense, they're going to be NFL caliber guys. They're going to work hard. They're going to be have that skill set that you want to see at the next level. And I think Brandon McKinney sees that opportunity staring him in the face. Also on defense here is Josh Calvert. Uh, he was a guy very highly thought of coming out of high school from Oaks Christian High School down there in Southern California. Went to UW, was a guy, and I remember hearing about this kid in the recruiting world and hearing that he, the second he stepped on campus up there for the dogs was going to be a guy who entered the two deep. Well, as, it's, as it came that he actually tore his ACL the final week of fall camp in 2019, and that injury essentially has knocked out the past two seasons. He didn't play at all in 2020. We all know that that season was so screwed up as it was. <laughs> like last year, just man, I know that BYU had a full season, but very few teams had the same type of year that they had. Right. He has missed the majority of two seasons, but the potential is still there. And he is the older brother of Ethan Calvert, who just signed with Utah in the last recruiting cycle. One of the, I actually, I think, believe he's the highest rated linebacker signee that Utah's ever had. The Calvert brothers got a lot of talent. Their father played for the University of Utah. This is a kid who's only a sophomore. He's got more time on his side. I think this is a low, like kind of that low floor, potential high ceiling pickup for Utah, especially with his connections to the program. Oh, absolutely. You know, and like linebacker's not an immediate need for Utah. They, they're they no. very well set there. I had people ask me, why are they picking up linebackers? Well, well because, you know, Devin Lloyd is gone after this season. Probably. Like, yeah, ne- Nephi Sewell is going to be aging now, and he can play a hybrid role a little mm-hmm. bit. Yeah, th- th- you need to have the depth. So this this is a move mostly for the future, mm-hmm. but also, like you said, you know, shore up that depth, get ready, you know, just get that extra security built in there. Because, yes, Utah's set right now at yeah. the linebacker position. Especially but, in the four two five that they run. They, right. They don't run a traditional 4-3 anymore. So. Right. Yeah, it's you know it's preparing for the future. You know, to borrow a phrase that Kyle Whittingham says a lot, there's never hay in the barn. <laughs> Good you know, point. They're, they're building up for that future. They're getting ready in case that next man needs to be up. And you know, it's it's a smart move to to go out and get somebody that talented, get them plugged into your program, start making the Calvert name. You know, one of the regulars yeah. because there are a lot of those legacy players that Utah really banks on. You know, and so it'll be. It would be great to see Calvert as a as a recurring name, along with like you know the Bartons and the Lotuleles. Be great. There's no doubt about it. Those legacy families absolutely are a big thing. Uh, one final note here. I want to talk about Theo Howard for a minute. As I mentioned earlier on, he was a guy who played at UCLA. I believe let's see, 100, 119 receptions, one thousand three hundred fifty nine yards, and nine touchdowns during his time with the Bruins down there in Westwood. He did suffer a torn Achilles, went to Oklahoma last year looking to really kind of establish himself, and I don't blame him for going to Oklahoma, let's right. be clear. It's, it's a high-flying offense. Yeah. <laughs> Had a pretty pedestrian year, though. 13 receptions, 163 yards at OU. Went looking for another program, and I think similar to what we talked about with Brandon McKinney just barely, Lundy, I think he sees an opportunity here, especially with how uh, empty the wide receiver position group appears to be on paper for Utah. Yeah, you know and. I know that some people have questioned, you know, 
why would a receiver or a quarterback ever go to Utah? What, you've been paying attention to social media all yeah. week? Yeah, it's weird, right? <laughs> no, but like a lot of people have that question, and I honestly think that, you know, sure, like they're Utah has struggled traditionally, but that also for the right kind of guy and the kind of guy that Kyle Whittingham mm-hmm. is going after, those guys see that struggle as opportunity. Sure. You know, they want to get to the next level. What better way than to go somewhere that historically struggles at that position and change it? Yeah. If you can be the guy that changes that to produce at a place that doesn't produce, you best believe that people at the next level are going to take notice. Yeah, and that's the thing about it. I think that it's very much you're, you're, you're looking, if you're Theo Howard, you're looking for an opportunity where, okay, plentiful reps, a quarterback who can sling in. I think that everything we've heard about Charlie Brewer has been oh, that yeah. dude can throw. And we saw it at Baylor, obviously. Right. He, he can get the ball down the field. you got to be looking at this. I know that there are many detractors out there for Utah, some fans here just in this state who would tell you, well, quarterbacks and wide receivers should avoid Utah at all costs. I'm with you, though. I think that's the perfect analogy for it is why not go to a place and be able to flip the script on its head, show that, you know what, we can succeed here. Quarterback can thrive here. Wide receiver can thrive here. And then, you know what, get your opportunity because you went somewhere where the reputation is that you can succeed and you succeeded anyways. Right. So, you know, it's it's something that happens – I think everywhere where there's positions that, you know, traditionally struggle. And that's how you turn it around. That's how you change that culture is you get one of those kinds of guys and they succeed. And suddenly it's, it's just, you know, they, they, they set the standard and other guys want to follow. Um, I do think that like you had mentioned, I think that Charlie Brewer's recruitment likely played a big role in that because, you know, they both are coming from the big 12. Sure. And so Theo Howard's not unfamiliar with him. Yeah. You know, he watched him. And Theo's also familiar with Utah from his time at UCLA. Right. So it worked out that way. Yeah. So he, he looks at it and says, okay, this is a team where, you know, the defense is, the defense is Utah. Mm-hmm. And that's going to be set. We're going to win a lot of games just based on that alone. Here's this quarterback that I watched torch defenses. Yeah. Where, I mean, you know, it's the Big 12. Defenses are kind of a formality. Defense is optional. We're all, we're all aware. <laughs> you know, it's just kind of 11 warm bodies out on the field. <laughs> but, uh, you know, he, he, he's watched this guy that obviously has talent. Mm-hmm. And so he's got to be looking at it and saying, if he's not the starter, that means that there's somebody who's better than him. Sure. So why not go where you can have somebody that talented slinging the ball, you know, just getting you some good film. And where you feel like you can really contribute in a meaningful way. Yeah, so we'll see. I, I really like what Utah's doing in the transfer portal. And who knows? They may just continue to just load up on guys. The nice part is that there's a lot of talent, it looks like, at least on paper, that's going to mm-hmm. come in. And, and I'm with you. Our, kind of our original point here, Kyle Whittingham's going all in. Yeah. He, see, he sees something in this in this squad, and he believes in them, and he's going to go after it this year. And for good reason. Why not? Go after it. Because we all know Kyle Whittingham, he's getting towards the end of his tenure at Utah, he wants to go to the Rose Bowl. He wants to win the Pac-12. Well, if you see an opportunity, you can't let it slip you by. Yeah, no, I think that, you know, I think he recognizes the writing on the wall that, like you said, you know, his, his time's coming to an end, and he wants to, Kyle Whittingham is a competitor. Yeah. Always has been, uh-huh. always will be. You're never going to take the fight out of the dog. And it's getting to the point where he's saying, we've got the talent where we no longer really need to rebuild very often. Mm-hmm. And they're returning so much of their talent from last year that, you know, sure, it maybe took them a little bit to get their feet under them. But, man, we saw a lot of promise from that team. Yep, they're and, just reloading at this point, yeah. Yeah, so gearing up, getting ready to go. And I think that there is a very bright future for Utah. Yeah, so we'll see. And we're going to have all summer to kind of break this down. I'm looking forward to it. Obviously, the playoffs ongoing. But once the playoffs are over, we're right into football. That's the crazy thing about it. Yeah. So we're going to have a lot of fun all summer long talking about this. But, yeah, Utah, they are doing work when it comes to the transfer portal. All right, coming up here in a minute, we'll round out the first hour of the show with our one of our favorite segments. It's one of my favorites. Uh, I te- love it. Technical fouls, man. Come on. We got we to put people on notice, put them on blast. We'll get to all of that coming up here in just a few minutes right here on the Saturday Show. Bob DeRudy. Oh, he packed it with the right hand. Produce three all-stars. Check. Oh, Donovan Mitchell. Win 50-50. 
51 games? Check. Earn the best record in the NBA in the top spot in the West? You are fabulous! Check and check. The regular season is over, and now the number one seeded Utah Jazz begin their quest for an NBA title. Let's go! When the Jazz take the court in the NBA playoffs, you'll hear every second of every game on your exclusive home. Welcome home of the Utah Jazz. 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. It is time now for technical fouls. You guys heard in that open and... It's our opportunity weekly to put people in the sports world and even beyond the sports world if we deem it necessary. Put them on notice, put them on blast, and let them know that they have been doing something wrong. That's the easiest way to put it. All right, Lundy, fire away. You you get first dibs today. All right. We're going to Major League Baseball for mine. Uh, Tony LaRussa, okay, manager yeah. for the, Sh- the Chicago White Sox. I'm sure you already know where I'm going with Mr. This. 75-year-old get-off-my-lawn guy. Exactly. That, and it was a very much get-off-my-lawn today, or you know, this week, yeah. I should say. Where So they're up big mm-hmm. against the Minnesota Twins. Yermin Merce- Mercedes yeah. comes up to the plate. They have a position player on the mound. Sure. Not a pitcher, yeah. a position player who... Like, you know, I mean, we've seen him earlier this year. You know, he went viral for, he had seven pitches in an inning. Mm-hmm. Most of them were ground outs, but like they were all, I think the fastest one of them was like, what, 61 miles per hour? Or He's something. a position player, and we see it on Twitter that they ha- literally have a thread for position players pitching. I think it's cut four on, <laughs> on Twitter that does it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so this pitcher throws three consecutive balls. Okay. And then puts a 47 mile per hour pitch right over the plate. That Yermin Mercedes cranks out of the ballpark, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, it's not easy to. The, the slower the pitch, the more power you've got to put in there. Yes. And he put it out of the park. Yeah. Uh, Tony Larusa after the game was very upset about that. Um, you know how dare we have fun in Major League Baseball, and you know mentioned there will be consequences, things like that. Even though Yermin Mercedes. Spent ten years in the minor leagues. Yeah, he's he's gonna take his chance when he gets it. You know, yeah. he's he's earned every single thing he gets in the major leagues. He's got to put up. He's on a rookie contract. Yeah. Um. Then the next game, Tyler Duffy for the Twins throws behind Yerman Mercedes, mm-hmm. and Tony Larusa's response to that: I don't have a problem with it. Well, so, guess who did have a problem with it? Yeah, Major League Baseball because they suspended Tyler Duffy for three games. So technical foul Tony Larusa for taking your opponent's side, yes. not backing up your players uh-huh. and saying, "Well, we we don't want our players to compete." You it's know, the unwritten rules of the game, yeah. guys. So, you know, it's. I mean, it, it's always been my belief: if you don't want your opponents to dance, keep them out of the end zone. Mm-hmm. Right? It, it's not his job. Yeah. To take a 47 mile per hour strike. He's a batter. His job is to bat. Yeah. The person whose job it is to prevent home runs is the guy on the mound. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This whole deal, and it's been it's been an ongoing thing all week long, because LaRusso's coming under a lot of fire for backing an opposing player slash team rather than backing up his own players. He's old school. Yeah. Very, very clear, but He's in the wrong here, isn't he? One hundred percent. And you know, this isn't the first time that Tony Larus has showed that he's old school. I mean, against my Reds, he lost in overtime or in extra innings, um, one to zero, because mm-hmm. he didn't understand the new rule. Correct. Yeah, he, he didn't know that. You and know, he, he admitted it. Yeah. Right. And yeah, in the in the post game press conference, when asked about it, and somebody clarified. They said, "Well, this is what the rule says." He said, "Well, I didn't know that." <laughs> Jeez, dude. I Okay, I get what uh, Jerry Reinsdorf, who owns the White Sox and the Chicago Bulls, he regrets because uh, he he fired uh, LaRusso earlier on in his career with the White Sox. And if you read the stories, the backstory, Reinsdorf has always regretted that firing. And he brought him back here. And LaRusso had been out of the game. What He hadn't managed in, I think, three or four years, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. And he's now back in the game. Reinsdorf ain't, ain't cutting his guy. Even though, man, I 
You probably should. There needs to be a discussion there. Yeah. So, all right. But yeah, technical foul, absolutely on Tony Larusa. All right, I got one here. We're gonna talk about soccer here in a little bit, but this one I think absolutely fits in this particular segment. Is that the Metropolitan Police over in England have arrested eight men following an investigation into a torrent of online racial abuse aimed at an unnamed Tottenham Hotspur player recently after a match against uh, it was a three-one home defeat to Manchester United on April 11th. Eight people arrested, four others interviewed under caution as part of the police's nationwide action on suspicion of using words or behavior or displaying written material with intent to stir up racial hatred. This has been an ongoing issue in the sports world at large, but particularly in the global sport of soccer. You, you can see it, and it doesn't take much to find it. Trust me, you can do a quick Google search or just on Twitter, you can search, you can find it. I'm actually okay with the Metropolitan Police trying to put their foot down. We saw, I don't know if you saw this, Lundy, just I think it was two weeks ago, the Premier League, as a league, did a social media blackout for a weekend when they had matches going on to speak out against the online abuse that players, uh, officials, everybody involved have been taking. I think it sent a message, and I think it sends an even stronger message that what you say online, you will be held accountable for it. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm in full agreement with you. Technical foul on racism anywhere, anytime, sure. always. Like, that's, that's, you know, that's a technical foul immediate ejection. Yeah, they just, they then said, quote, with the busy summer of football approaching because the Euros 2020 are this year over there in, in Europe, we are committed to driving out this type of racist behavior. It has no place in football. That comes from Detective Sergeant Matt Simpson from, their Met, from the Metropolitan Police's public order crime team. So uh, this technical foul on all these individuals, and I, I'm, I'm sad to say these eight, they get, they get caught but there are thousands more out there who need to be held accountable for the things they say because there's a lot of keyboard warriors. And I'm not mm-hmm. even talking just about racism. I'm just talking about people who, anonymous, behind a keyboard, all of a sudden become real big tough guys or tough women, I guess, online. Yeah, it's, yeah. <laughs> I don't, you know, you said it perfectly. That it's, it's a problem with, you know, a lot of sports fans. And, uh, you know, so those of you listening that are not those keyboard warriors, you know, big ups to you. Yes, and, feel free to uh, reach out. We love we love interacting with you guys. Yeah. Just you know, keep it civil. Yeah. Oh, for sure. You know, and we're, we're you know at least I I think that we're both open to constructive criticism. Sure. But, uh, you know, you you call us some names. There's that, a there's a line. Yeah, and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna issue some technical files to you if you come at us the wrong way. <laughs> We will do that. All right. We are over time here in this first hour. Uh, Coming up next, though, you're going to hear from Donovan Mitchell. Spoke to the media earlier this week about what we expect to be his return tomorrow night to the lineup for the Utah Jazz. And then coming up a little bit later on, we're going to get to a segment we're going to call Five Minutes Of, and we'll explain more about that. That's all coming up on the Saturday show.